And welcome to Christ the King, uh, those in person and those uh, joining us online as well. We are in a sermon series entitled The King and His Calling. We are looking at different stories of Jesus calling people to follow himself. This morning we're looking at a, the story of Jesus' call to the rich young man. And as I studied this passage this week, I realized that I really I should have included a reading that is not included. Immediately prior to this story of the rich young man, there's another story in which Jesus welcomes the children. Let me read it for you. This is Mark chapter 10. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. The disciples rebuked him. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took, him, took the children in his arms and blessed them. So here we have two stories uh, that almost beg for a comparison. The story of little children who are welcomed and a rich young man who turns away. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do a little compare and contrasting. We're going to look at the characteristics of the rich young man and compare them to the characteristics of the children. Clearly they have something that the rich man did not. And then for those of us, and that I think would include all of us, who have more in common with the rich young man then with the little children, we're going to plot a course. How can we be a little bit more like those little children who were welcomed rather than the rich young man who walked away in disappointment? So follow along in your sermon notes, two points, a comparison and then a course. So let's begin. The rich young man, what do we know about him? Well, first of all, we know that he was rich. We're told as much in verse 22. And really it's his wealth that seems to be the dominant characteristic of this passage. He was a wealthy man. Uh, this is a story that's recorded in Matthew and Luke as well. And from Matthew and Luke, we learn that he was a young man. From Luke's gospel, we learn that he was an influential person, a ruler of some sort. So a rich young ruler is often the, the heading of this passage and appropriately so. But we can say a little bit more uh, we, I believe that he was a spiritual man. There's a, there's a uh, kind of, of a proverbial danger, a, wisdom, a proverbial wisdom that says, you know, material wealth will blind you to spiritual reality. Now you have so much, you just not, one is not concerned with what comes next. That doesn't appear to be the case for this young man because his question to Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not thinking, eat, drink, and be merry. No, his concern is with the life to come. He's a spiritual man. Further, he's a moral man. His response to Jesus' initial request, obey the commandments, do not lie, do not cheat, commit adultery, there's no reason to doubt his sincerity. All these I have kept since my youth is his response. And the disciples' reaction to the man walking away is telling. Now the disciples, as you know, were probably from a much lower socioeconomic status than these, uh, than the rich young man. They were probably fishermen. And when the rich young man walks away, the disciples don't say, yes, finally. Rich get richer, poor get poorer. He finally gets what's coming to him. That's not what they say at all. Instead, the disciples say, if not him, then who? Who could make it into the kingdom of God? All this to underscore that here is a rich, young man who is uh, spiritually in tuned, spiritually inclined at least, concerned with the life to come, 
who is moral, but I think there's one more attribute we can observe about this young man, and that is he is restless. And I say this because of the opening passage in which he runs up to Jesus. Jesus is about to leave, the train's about to depart the station, and so here comes this young man, rich young man, running. And I note his restlessness because very few people run in the ancient Near East. It's a very hot place, it's a very dusty place, footwear was not great, very little running, and certainly one did not run if one was rich. I can think of only two places in which a rich person ran in the Bible. First is the father in the story of the prodigal son in which the father sees the, the lost boy coming from a distance and the father runs. His running is motivated by love, but here is his run. Here this rich young man runs because he is motivated by restlessness. Despite all he has, and it is a lot, he is a man of influence, he is a man of character, he is a man of wealth. Despite all that he has, there is this nagging sense that, uh-oh, it just may not be enough. And so he runs, despite his great abundance. Does that remind you of anybody? It should. Alexis Tocqueville was a French diplomat who walked through America in the 1860s, and he had made many observations about life here. He wrote a book called Democracy in America. And he observed the same quality that we see in this rich young man. He observed a land that was overflowing with abundance, overflowing with possibility, land free for the taking, opportunities galore. Yet, despite the great abundance, he observed a great restlessness. I quote this in your sermon notes. At first sight, there is something astonishing in the spectacle of so many lucky men, restless in the midst of their abundance. Great wealth, great opportunity, great possibility, yet a land of great restlessness. Men and women running, what next? What do I need to do next? What do I need to post next? What do I need to have next? Despite all we have, which is a lot, despite all we've done, which in most cases is quite a bit, it still does not feel like enough. And so there is a restlessness that is almost endemic to you and me, and it's present in this rich young man. Do you recognize the rich young man? I hope so. He's probably looking back at you at the mirror every time you wake up. I know that's the case for me. So that is the quality of the rich young man that I want to highlight for you, a restlessness. What do I need to do next? And in contrast to the rich young man, we have the children. Now let's think about the children. Again, this is not printed in your leaflet, but these children are young. They're the, of the age that can be held, likely between one, two, maybe three. Uh, our children, uh, what do they have that the rich young man doesn't have? What's their quality that is so endearing that Jesus welcomes them to him? Are our children more uh, influential? The leader was influential. The rich young man was influential. No. In that culture, children had a lower status than slaves. Are children more moral? Not my children. My children are great. <laughs> but children are, in general, aren't uh, more moral than any adult. Children are impulsive. Uh, children don't, there's nothing like morally superior to a child than an, than an adult. 
what is it that children have that the rich young man didn't have? I think there's one quality that they had, and that is that a child is, is more content. There's a natural contentedness to a young child that is lacking in this rich young man. Children are more easily satisfied. They're more content just to be held. They're, they're happy if they're just held by their mom or dad. Now, one of our children uh, was uh, especially content. It's a little bit ironic, <laughs> speaking of contented children. Um, one of our children was especially content. Uh, they all had this sense of that I'm describing around age one or two. They're not striving. They're just happy to be with mom or dad. And, uh, but one was especially content. And one evening, around six or seven, I walked in. Uh, and I saw this child dreaming. And I, you know, when a person's dreaming, you can see their eyes sort of bouncing around and they're, you know, they're twitching and whatnot, evidence that they were dreaming age two or three, and I thought, what, is it, what does a little child dream about at age two, at age three? I know what I dream about. I still have that dream when I wake up and I'm supposed to preach a sermon that I have not prepared for, and I'm walking up to the pulpit with no idea. That's the type of dream that I have. My dreams are fueled by anxieties. My dreams are fueled by concerns and worries. That's what I dream about. That's what wakes me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. But what about a little child? They just don't have that. The psalmist describes this quality in Psalm 131 when he says, I have stilled my soul like a weaned child within its mother. That's a great phrase, like a weaned child within its mother. See, a nursing child is needy. A nursing child reaches out to mom. The nursing child reaches, clings to his mother. But a weaned child, age two, age three, is simply content to be with mom, is happy just to sit in mom's lap. And so the psalmist draws a comparison. I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And just like a weaned child is content to be with mom, just like the children in Mark's gospel were content simply to be held by Jesus, the author has learned to be content with being with God. His soul is simply content to know and be with his heavenly father. And so the contrast between the rich young man and the weaned child, the young child, is stark. The children are restless, or the, ch or the children are content. Are the, excuse me, the children are welcome while the restless young man is turned away. The rich young man is striving looking for the next thing to do, even though he's done so much. And while the young children are simply content to be held in the arms of Christ. Now again, my thesis is you and I are a lot more like that rich young man than we are. We have much more in common with that rich young man than we have in common with those content, weaned children. Our souls are rarely restless within us. 
What, was, what must we do to be a little bit more like the young children, those content young children rather than the restless young rich man? Let me suggest we need to do some accounting. We need to account for, we need to account for the limitations of what we want. In this case, the man wanted his wealth. And also, we need to account for the abundance of what we have. Let me say a little bit more about those two points. First, we need to account for the limitations of what we want, and in this case, this man wanted wealth. Think just for a moment about the things that you and I think wealth will do for us. We think that wealth will provide happiness. We think that wealth can provide opportunities. With opportunities come freedom. With freedom comes the ability to plot our own course, to create our own identity. And I think it would be wrong and false to say that wealth has no bearing on our happiness. A few years ago, there was a worldwide poll by the organization Gallup. They asked people all across the globe to rate their value of, rate their satisfaction of their life. And no surprise, citizens from wealthy countries were much, much more satisfied with their lives. I think it would be wrong to say that wealth has no bearing on your enjoyment of life. Wealth has no bearing on the opportunities that are in front of you. However, the only problem is all these things that we attribute to wealth, all these things we think that wealth can do, provide happiness, freedom, freedom and opportunity, opportunity and identity. All these are profoundly spiritual hungers. Happiness is a spiritual hunger. The psalmist says, or, uh, in many translations, the Bible translates the word blessed as happy. Blessed is the man or happy is the man are almost interchangeable. Blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers meaning that happiness, true contentment, true satisfaction is a spiritual hunger. And no spiritual hunger can be satisfied with material things, regardless of how much material things we have. There comes a point of diminishing return when more wealth doesn't bring more happiness. It just brings more problems. Wealth is a limited good with limited value and a limited ability to satisfy the deep spiritual hungers of our life. And every attribute of this rich man is the same. His morality, his status, his achievements, these were not nothing, but they were not enough to satisfy that nagging question of have I done enough, do I have enough? The step, first step in quieting our souls within us is to learn to properly account for the things that you and I want. A weaned child no longer frets for what it used to find indispensable. And this rich young man was not weaned from his wealth. It was still indispensable to him. He could not leave it. Step number one, remember the limitations of what you want. Step number two is to remember the abundance of what you have. And let me explain. As I studied this passage this week, I realized that there's actually two rich men 
in our story. There's a rich young man who was described as such, but there's also Jesus who was himself a very rich young man. Jesus was age 31, probably the same age as this man. Jesus, like this man, was a person of influence. We read that he was in the very nature of God, yet did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. We're told that Jesus was rich, the high king of heaven. And there were two rich men in this story. The only difference is that Jesus did what the rich man could not. Jesus put aside his, his dignity, his wealth. Jesus put aside his authority. At the end of our story, we read that the rich young man walked away heartbroken. He walked away grieved. And that word shows up again, and it shows up again as a description of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus encountered the same question that he posed to the rich young man, give it all away. All your dignity, all your wealth, give it all away and follow the Father's will for your life, which of course led to the cross. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. You and I have a Savior who left everything for us, so that one day we could be with him. So how do we still our souls within us? We remember the abundance of what we have, a Savior who, though he was rich, became poor for us. And our happiness and our identity, our purpose, are satisfied by knowing him, by being with him. Several months ago, a very influential and respected pastor was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And upon his diagnosis, he sent a few prayer requests out. And one of the prayer requests was, that we use this opportunity to be weaned from the joys of this world and to desire God's presence above all. That is a great prayer for all of us, that you and I would be weaned from the joys of this world, that we would learn to treat those things that we think are indispensable as dispensable wealth, status, the need to be somebody, all the joys of this life that we'd be weaned from them and to desire God's presence above all. I encourage you to meditate, contemplate, and offer that prayer yourself this week that we be weaned from the joys of this world and to desire God's presence above all. Amen.